David, I do hope that you will uh, share a little bit about your ministry along the way at the beginning or whatever you choose to do. But thank you, brother, for being here. Thank you. Well, I, I, I better do that right away. Just very briefly speak about my ministry because um, I came to preach the gospel and I, I'm not mentioning my own work in the, in the message today. Um, again, thank you to Unity for uh, several years of support. I'm trying to remember when you began, but um, you're not a large church, and I, I don't take that for granted even from a large church that can easily do it. So thank you for your interest and trust in the ministry. I know Mark is very good about disseminating information. If any of you do want to get directly uh, emails from me before and after trips, just, just give me your email, and I'll be glad, very glad to push you on the list. So I'm with the Seed Ministry, uh, which is just, it's a new entity just as of a few months ago, but I've been with Mobile Theological Training Team uh, for 20 years. Um, the, uh, the Seed Ministry is the product of a merge of two ministries that were doing something so similar that even I was confused. And I thought, this is crazy. We're, 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 we've got some of the same people teaching the same places, so it's a teaching ministry. Uh, we, we add the other uh, parts to SEED, e educating, equipping, and discipling, uh, by, more by expectations of what we think we may be doing. But our primary work really is classroom teaching. Um, in Pakistan, it's less formal. Uh, we're not using an institution. Uh, I teach at another place in Pakistan. In Rwanda, it is quite formal, although we're meeting in churches. Uh, the other places I teach are usually in a Bible college or a seminary. So we work in developing countries, which is a vague term. We don't say third world anymore. We say developing countries. Third world is very insulting. Um, but, we, but defining a de uh, developing country can be really hard. We're especially concentrating on Rwanda because of a law that was passed that required all pastors to have some kind of a diploma, and Erskine is backing that up for us. So we've gotten quite formal. Attendance is mandatory. They have to pass. We have a certain curriculum that we're doing. So we're pretty excited about it. <clears throat> Uh, I teach in seven African countries plus Pakistan. Um, I'm quite busy. I could probably be busier, but I shouldn't. Um, I love my job, and I am grateful to, that, you're, that you have some interest in it. So I can talk more about it later. Um, there was some literature. I don't know what happened to it. But definitely give me, your, give me your email if you'd like to be receiving updates. I promise I won't inundate you with that. Again, thanks for your welcome. I, uh, I appreciate your pastor even in advance here as I look at uh, what he wrote, I assume it was you, Mark, uh, here that I'm going to ask you not to read during the message, but if you've not already read it, read it afterwards because it, it's very much supplementing and thankfully agreeing with what I'll be saying in the message today. I'm going to draw your attention to, uh, to our gospel message today. It is from the gospel according to Matthew, and it's in chapter 18. It's the last of the verses. So it's Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21, a familiar parable. Now I'm going to be reading from my Bible, which is ESV. I don't think you'll find anything substantially different if you're using a different version. Sometimes people just like to listen and not follow along. That's up to you. So Matthew 18 begins with verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, that is Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, 
His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's mighty word. And as has already been prayed, may we be ready to receive it. There's a, a, in a congregation here, and as I look at your ages, and I mean no disrespect to that, but m- those of you that are my age, maybe a little bit younger, uh, might know the name Corey Ten Boom. Uh, many of you will not. The younger generation doesn't necessarily know her name. Um, she was an incredible woman, uh, raised in the Netherlands, where my wife is from, and her story comes from World War II, during the German occupation. She's a Christian. Her family was a Christian. She had never married. She was in her late 40s. Her sister Betsy also had never married, and their father was a widower. They were, they were clockmakers, and they lived in, um, in in the typical Dutch house, which is very narrow and very long. And because they were Christians and they saw the plight of the Jews, uh, they decided to start hiding them. And so The Hiding Place, a book, and I think two movies have been made by that name, one not that long ago, are about what they did. They would hide Jews and then get them out of the country. I don't even know where they went because as you know, our own country would not receive boatloads of Jews. So they really, it was very difficult. But they did that again and again and again. I don't know how many were rescued until a neighbor ratted them out. So a neighbor told the secret police what they were doing and the whole family was arrested. Uh, Miraculously, they did not find the Jews that were currently in the building and they were safe. Well, they went off to prison camp in Germany and very quickly with the conditions there, daddy died and and so did Betsy. Uh, But Corey held on, Uh, she was strong. Corey was interesting. She was released just a few months before the war ended in 1945. And she found out later that that was an administrative error. She wasn't supposed to have been released. She was supposed to be executed. But the Lord obviously had wanted her out. She was so moved by what had happened, what she learned, that she became a writer and a speaker, quite a prolific one. So she's traveling around and telling her story and and, and teaching the word of God. And one night she's in Germany. And after, on a Sunday night, She's speaking. Um, people are coming up, as they always do, to shake her hand and tell her how wonderful it was. And this one man comes up to her and he says, Fraulein, I was a prison guard in the very prison that you described. And I have become a Christian. So I know I did terrible things, and I know God has forgiven me, but I have always wanted to look one of the prisoners in the eye and ask for forgiveness. So Fraulein, will you forgive me? He didn't need to introduce himself. She knew him. She, he had been one of the most sadistic prison guards, very cruel. 
enjoying his work. And he's asking her to forgive him, and all she feels in her heart is hatred. Quite naturally. Just can't stand him. Hates him. No interest in forgiving this man. But she knew scripture. She knew it wasn't an option. And so what, what does she do? Do you remember what Nehemiah did when faced with the question of what do you want from the king? A very quick prayer. And that's what she did. She prayed very fast. Lord, I, I can't, but I have to. Help me. Something like that. And she talks about, and I don't think she was particularly charismatic, whatever, but she talks about this power that went down her arm and raised her arm to shake his hand, and she was able to say from her heart, yes, my brother, I forgive you. That's quite a story. Have you ever, this is a rhetorical question, have you ever had difficulty forgiving somebody? Every one of us has. In fact, it may be that you're still holding a grudge. There is somebody in your life that has hurt you badly, and you will not forgive them. They may be dead, and you still haven't forgiven. And when we read a passage like this, especially that last verse, that says, this is what your Heavenly Father will do to everyone who does not forgive, it definitely sounds conditional, doesn't it? So you're saved, and then you find out the fine print tells you that you'd better forgive. Oh, no! So I, I could actually lose my salvation if I don't forgive. No, that's not exactly it. But what we do see is that there is a close relationship between the forgiveness we receive from God in Christ and the forgiveness that we show others. Not exactly conditional, but they, they really they need to jive together. So let's look at that. What we're going to do today is... Uh, is in three points, and I don't always do that, but in three points about forgiveness. I want to talk about the need to forgive, the need and the command to forgive. I want to talk about the quality, the characteristic of forgiveness. In other words, what it looks like. And then, how do we do it? The power, actually, to forgive. So it's quite simple. Um, we need to forgive, we're told to forgive, and therefore, we just need to do it. Now, if, if any of you have ever been to a counselor, particularly a secular counselor, uh, because of an issue of forgiveness. Do you know what they'll tell you? you? You might be able to guess. They will urge you to forgive for what reason? For your own heart. For your own health. Forgiveness is good for you. I hear this on the radio all the time by uplifting and encouraging people that are telling us how good it is for the heart. Well, that's true. It is. And, and the, uh, the secular psychologist or counselor will tell you that's really the reason you should forgive. Because when you don't forgive, you get bitter and eats you up, and you're the one that is suffering. The person who's offended you might not even know they've offended you, or they might not care. You're the one that's suffering. Is that why we must forgive? No. That, that would be like, um, like God saying, um, don't commit adultery, because you know, it can really mess up your marriage. And that is the way some people view God's law, don't they? That God has given us these commandments and these various laws so that our lives will be blessed and wonderful and fun. That's not exactly why God gives us his law, is it? When God tells us not to steal, it's not because we might get caught, right? So I can go on and on. Why does God give us these commands? Ephesians 4.32 tells us that we must be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. Do you understand why God has given us the laws that he's given? When he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he didn't say, what ten things, I like the number ten, what ten things can I come up with to just make our people's life difficult? Or they just need some rules, I'll come up with these ten. Do you know what God was doing? He was saying, you're my people. 
I've, I've, I've delivered you from Egypt. I want you to be like me. I want you to be holy like I am holy. Let me show you what holiness is going to look like. And so the laws we get are to make us more holy. We're not talking about dietary laws and things like that. We're talking about the eternal commands such as the Ten Commandments. And so God says, you must be holy. Let me show you how to be holy. We need these specific commands. So we forgive because we're told to forgive. Well, that's a basic reason. We're commanded actually to do that. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I saw on one of the side notes that, that Mark had printed about the uh, as we forgive our debtors. And that's a vague term, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, that could mean time-wise, simultaneously, right? Forgive us because we're, you know, as we do the same thing. It, it could possibly be conditional. Again, I'm not stressing that at all. But what if it means, Lord, I want you to forgive me just the way I forgive everybody else? If that's what it means, we better not pray it, right? But there is a close connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. There, I have known many people uh, that have been bitter, angry about somebody, Christians as well, say, I know I'm supposed to forgive, and I'm basically forgiving, but not that person, Okay. I cannot forgive that person. You don't know what they did. God doesn't know what they... Does God not know? Does God give us these exception flaws and say, okay, your life is actually much harder than everybody else's, and your offense, I understand that, so no, you don't have to forgive that person. We don't have that. Right? that, that that's not even an option or a consideration. So God knows that some of the people we're called to forgive are very hard to forgive. But we don't get off the hook. We, we don't have an option to not forgive so the need to forgive is, that should be quite clear, just that we, we must do it. We are God's people. He is a forgiving God. We must be forgiving. We're commanded to forgive. And so we do it. But let's talk about what forgiveness looks like. Um, as Christians, we all know that we're supposed to forgive, so many of us are really good about verbalizing it, right? Oh, I forgive you, but you haven't, right? We say to some people, I forgive you, and we either say it out loud or in our hearts, I forgive you, but get out of my life. Right? I don't want this relationship to continue. Now, we do understand that there are cases of abuse and different things where the relationship really might need to end. We do understand that, but there can still be forgiveness, as I define it in just a couple of moments. The most common one we have, and you all know what I'm going to say, I forgive you, but I can't what? I can't forget. I'm so glad that our Heavenly Father doesn't have that attitude, right? I forgive you, but I won't forget. What does Scripture say about that? I could quote several verses. Isaiah 43, verse 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Isn't that interesting? For his own sake. And I will not remember your sins. And then he says in Jeremiah 31, where the new covenant is given, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Now, you know God does not have a memory lapse. So it can't mean that. It can't mean that it is totally gone from consciousness, but it does mean something. Okay? I will not remember your sins. When God says, I will not remember your sins, he says, I'm not going to hold it against you. And that's a clue to the way we need to forgive. You know, we use the word debt. I grew up Catholic. We didn't use the word debt in the Lord's Prayer. We used trespasses. And I'm not sure I knew what a trespass was, but I, that's what I would say. 
Now, when I heard debt, I thought, what a strange word. And I discovered that that actually is a very good translation. It's interesting. Have you ever thought of when you offend somebody that you now have a debt to them? I think that's why Jesus tells his parable. He uses money at the idea of a debt. See, when, you, um, when the steward forgives this man of 10,000 talents, and I'm, and I'm going to talk about how much money that is, by the way. Uh, when he forgives him of that, uh, and he says, you don't have to pay, well, the king is out that money. He is out that money. He has absorbed the debt. He has essentially paid. So there really is a debt. It's an unequal thing. So when you forgive somebody, they owe you something, and you're saying, I'll absorb that debt. Okay? You don't need to pay me. So the word debt is a very helpful understanding. There is a loss that you've taken from somebody. You've taken something from them when you've hurt them. And they have a choice of trying to get it back from you or saying the debt is gone. The debt is free. Now, if you bump into me or step on my toe, uh, you might say, oh, please forgive me. And you know, most of us would say, you know, that's nothing. I do that all the time. Some debts are quite easy to forgive. We think nothing of it. But have you ever, has anybody ever offended you? And they've asked for forgiveness really fast and you're unable to do it. I, I think that's pretty normal, right? We see that in marriages, any kind of, I mean, it could be any kind of relationship. And why is that? Why are we unable to forgive? Well, don't just say that we're sinners. That's a given, right? We know that. We're often unable to forgive. Let's say, let's say my wife offends me or I offend her. If I ask for forgiveness from her, maybe a little too quickly, and I'm not saying wait a week, okay? But if I just say, oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, sometimes the person who's offended has the sense that you don't realize what you've done. And so if you don't know the debt, I can't forgive you. That's a human thing, right? We, we, it's easier for us to forgive if we think the person understands that it was a big deal. And so even in our personal relationships, it might be good to have that discussion. I know I hurt you. Can we talk about it? Okay. I'm going to ask you forgiveness, but before I do, I want you to tell me what I did to you. I want, to I want you to tell me how much it hurt. That will restore the relationship better. It is a debt. It really is one. And we, I think if we understand it that way, it will be helpful. Let me define forgiveness. Since forgiveness clearly means forgetting one's sin, that would mean treating somebody to as much as we possibly can as if they had not done that sin. It means that we're making a decision. I'm deciding to forgive. That means I'm not going to demand payment from you, I'm not going to remind you of it, and I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to seek revenge. Now, that's a vow. I would say forgiveness is a vow. We actually said, this is what I'm going to do. Now, have you ever had this experience? I bet you have. You've forgiven somebody, something terrible. It might, it might be a parent that failed you, okay? And you've forgiven them, and then something comes up, and it's like a flashback, and you're angry all over again. Has that ever happened to you? When we do that, what should we do? Well, it may be that we never forgave. That's possible. But what I do, and this happens to me, is say, wait a minute. I said I forgive. And so, heart, I will not allow this bitterness. I will not let you do that. And as much control as I have over doing that, I say, this was the decision I made. So when the feelings come back, I revisit it. Now, I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said 70 times 7. But there are times, it seems, that we need to forgive for the same debt over and over again. So it is really a matter of talking to our heart, talking to our soul, and saying, no, 
you said I forgive and I'm going to hold you to it. That's very possible. Forgiveness is not optional. We absolutely have to forgive. And now we have an idea of what it looks like. It's a decision we make. I will not treat you as if you had sinned against me. But how do we do that? For some Christians, they're quite satisfied just to hear that there's a command because they hear a command and they say, I will obey. That's very good. If you're able to forgive simply because God says forgive, well, more power to you. But many of the rest of us are not able to do it just because we've been commanded. There's more to it. Now, we also know that we have the Holy Spirit as Christians. And if we're not changing and becoming more like Christ, there's something wrong. So we should be becoming more forgiving because we're becoming more loving, because we're becoming more like Jesus. This should happen. But let me tell you, let me show you the way I believe the Holy Spirit does this in us. So here we have a king, and this servant owes him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. You know, one of the questions we should have is, how did he possibly accrue that debt? And secondly, and how does he possibly think he can pay him back? But it might help to talk about how much money that is. I'm not going to translate it into dollars. It's changing every day anyway, right? I, 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 it's not helpful to change it into currency, but what I can do is to talk about the normal laborer, which this servant probably would have been. Now, we know from the parable of the um, vineyard that the normal day's wage was a denarius. Okay, so, even, so there's no point in trying to translate that to modern currency, but to say a denarius is what a normal person would earn in a day. So the man that owes him 100 denarii, okay, 100 days of work, that's more than three months, that's not nothing. Right? That's not totally nothing. But let's talk about the 10,000 talents. Now we see the word talent in the parable of the talents, but we don't know what that means. How much is the master giving each of those people, you know, 10 talents, 5 talents, how much is that? Well, Many of us have a study Bible that actually gives a note and tells us, okay? And that's how I got it. One talent was a lot of money. One talent was actually 20 years worth of work. One talent. So 10 talents would be, okay, we're talking about 200 years. 10,000 talents, can you do the math? Just add a few zeros there. 10,000 talents is 200,000 years of labor. You think Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor? Okay. He's using a preposterous figure on purpose. He knows that they'll say, oh, that's such a crazy number. That's his very point. This guy owes the king 200,000 years of work. So again, how? How did, he get, how did he possibly owe him that? And then isn't it silly to say, just have patience. I'll pay you back. And did you notice, by the way, when he goes out and chokes the other one, it's the exact same words, have patience with me, and I will pay you back. It's possible for that one to pay him back. There's no way that the servant could pay him back. And Jesus knows that. Okay? I'm sure Jesus is doing this tongue-in-cheek, hoping to get there, you know, to think this is a ridiculous exaggeration. This servant is you and me. This servant is every single sinner in the face of God. And silly people, even some Christians, would say, I can pay it back. I can pay my debt back to you. Well, let's think of those debts as sins. Now, how, it's November 19th, if I've got that right. How many times have you sinned this year? And I'm just saying this year. Because, you know, if we're Pharisees, we would say, well, let me think of the things that I did wrong, right? All the external things I did wrong, how many are there? And they'd be a lot, right? 
But if we're Christians, we know that it's not just what we do that is wrong. It is also that which we do not do. The things we should do but don't do. So we're doing, we're doing things that are wrong, and we're not doing things we should be doing. Oh, it's worse than that, right? How many times do we say things we shouldn't say? Some of us, that's our biggest problem. But then the, the flip side of that is how many times do you not say the things you should say? Words of encouragement, words of love, words of correction. How often do you not? Those are sins. Well, it gets worse than that. How many times have you thought things you shouldn't be thinking? And contrarily, as we learn in Philippians 4, verse 8, how many times have you not thought of the things you should be thinking about? Now tally that up if you can, but you can't. So let's just think of every one of us standing before God, and he says, you owe me 200,000, you owe me 10,000 talents. You owe me 200,000 years of work. Your, your debt is this big. And the foolish person says, just I'll pay it back. I'll, I'll give you 11% to the church. I'll even work in the nursery. Okay, I'll do all these things. Well, that's ridiculous. Right? You can't, I mean, you can't pay it back and you can't undo. The debt is impossible. And we're supposed to see that. That's what Jesus is telling this parable. The debt is absolutely impossible. It would be a foolish person who could actually be faced with the amount and think they can pay it back. Every sin against God is treason against the high king. Your sins are great. My sins are great. It is ridiculous for anyone to think that it can be paid. Nobody can pay these, right? Absolutely nobody in the world can possibly pay that debt. Well, that's not true, is it? There is one. And his name is Jesus. Jesus took on our debt. He who is very wealthy, very rich, came, put that aside, came and lived a perfectly righteous life so that on the cross he is paying for debt. He is paying for lots and lots and lots of sins, not his own, lots of sins of all who would ever place their faith in him, all who would believe in him. And his last words, according to John's gospel, are what? It is finished. Now, many of us know that the Greek word there, it, it is an absolute, complete, done, debt paid. It is finished. And that means that for you and me, anybody, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saying, I am hopeless with my sins. I can do nothing, but Jesus paid it all. He can pay for my sins. And so our faith in Jesus is that precisely, not just believing he's a good person, good teacher, he is the one who paid our debt. He, only, he could do that because he's God, perfectly sinless. He could do it only because he was man, able to live a perfectly righteous life. What a savior you and I have. And I hope that you do know him as savior, because if you don't, that debt can still be counted. You can place your faith in Jesus today, even from 2,000 years ago when he paid the debt, then it's also your debt is paid. And so we stand before God, we have no debt to pay. Now let's take that back to the parable again. This, st this steward who has just been forgiven 10,000 talents, I mean, what would we normally do? We'd probably just skip out. Right? No, he doesn't do that. He goes out and he decides to collect somebody else's debt. And the other servants are outraged as they should be and as we are. We're outraged. So what a scum. Well, I, I can't believe what he's doing. Okay? Well, that pertains to us as well. Because if you have been forgiven of your 10,000 talents, and in Christ you have, are you not able to forgive others? When you realize the debt that's been paid for you, that doesn't, you don't respond to that? 
Does not grace fill you and overflow? I'm not saying it's always easy, but that's where the power comes from, and that's the Spirit's work. What do we have to do? It's very simple. When you can't forgive somebody, we need to look at the cross and say, I was forgiven of an enormous debt. This debt against me, though it may be painful, is pretty small in comparison. And so we forgive as we've been forgiven. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. That forgiveness we've experienced, if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't motivate you, you might not be saved. And and I think that's what it means. Your Heavenly Father will not forgive you because if you are an unforgiving person, have you ever understood the grace that's been shown to you in Christ? Now, we can renew that. We can, we can learn that more. Maybe it may be that you say, I trust Christ, but I hadn't realized that. Okay, now you realize it. You see the grace that has been shown, the enormous debt that's been paid. And now, quite simply, when it's difficult, remember the cross. Remember the debt has been paid. It is finished. There's nothing more to be paid. And you are able to forgive with the Spirit's help because you understand that you've been forgiven much. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful parable and that Jesus always knew the images to use that we can understand. And so the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, it's very hard to wrap our heads around. Help us, Lord, to never lose sight of the novelty and the wonder of your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We are great sinners, but our Savior is greater, and we thank you for him. Help us to be forgivers. Help us to be Christ-like more and more. So we pray for your spirit, that you would be generous, pouring your spirit upon us, that we can become more and more like our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. You're welcome.